Yeah, Bobby. All right. Welcome, welcome. As Wes said, my name is Levi Stuckey. I am the, the main teaching pastor here. And I have been out of the pulpit for the last six weeks. Some of you have asked, you know, are you on sabbatical or are you not? I haven't been on sabbatical. What the elders wanted me to do was to try and plan for the next year's teaching series, which I'm really excited. I wish I could say I had the whole year planned. I've got up through about December planned. And we're going to do something that that I'm really excited about, something that I've personally never done. I did not grow up in a liturgical church, okay? A liturgical church would be a church that kind of follows a set set of scriptures throughout the entire calendar year. Many of you have, because you grew up in a Lutheran church or a Catholic church or maybe a Methodist church. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take a a year and follow what's called the Revised Common Lectionary. We'll be in the, the last half of year A and the second half of year B. And we're going to put a crossroads flare on it. So we're going to try and go through the, the seasons of the church calendar. So that would be like Advent and Christmas, which we usually do. But Lent, which we've never done as a church. The Easter season, Pentecost, and then after Pentecost. And we're going to follow that along with many other brothers and sisters throughout our country and our world that will be teaching similar scriptures that we'll be in as well. So... Um, I think, I, what did I call it? Uh, enriching tradition is what we're going to call it. And there'll be little series wrapped up in there following the, the liturgical calendar. So super excited about that. I worked on planning that. I also did a ton of stuff with the building. We got our cabinets ordered, 100 cabinets. Souter Manufacturing is hooking us up, saving us, I kid you not, around forty-five dollars to $50,000 because they are selling them to us at cost. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you to Souders and uh, my brother who happens to work there. <laughs> yeah, so I've been doing that along with all the other building stuff or whatever. So I've been around and I've been working. I just haven't been in the pulpit. That's what I've been up to. Along with that, and this will, will move us into the message for this morning. Along with that, your elders and I have recognized that as we sharpen this tool that is our ministry facility, right? It's a tool. It's not the church. It's a tool to help us do church, to be a community together. As we sharpen this tool, we're realizing that once it gets sharp, once it gets more useful and we have classrooms and stuff, we need to make sure that we understand what our goal is as a church And then we need to run hard and shift into a higher gear, hence the shift campaign, shift into a higher gear of running hard after our goal of helping the lost get found and the found live free. And so in this last six weeks, and honestly the last year and a half, I've been thinking about how do we do a better job of running after our goal? How do we do a better job of running after our goal of helping the lost get found and the found live free? So I've been thinking about small groups and some curriculum and different things that we can maybe implement once we have the space to do that. So we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, but I want to, I want to rewind and I want to ask the question that, that the elders and I have been asking. I want, to ask that, I want to have you ask that of yourself this morning. What is the goal of life? What's the goal of life? What should the goal of life be? That's what we've been thinking, and more specifically, what's the goal for our church? I think if it's a, that's a big question. It's a, it's a really big question. And I think the best answer that you could give as a Christian would probably be the goal of life is to glorify God. Amen. The goal of this church is to glorify God. Yeah, it's a, pretty good, it's a pretty good answer. The problem is, it's a little vague, isn't it? To glorify God. What does that exact, exactly mean, right? 
It's a little vague. It's a good, good goal, but it's a little vague. So I, we have to ask a follow-up question. How? How do we go about glorifying God? How do you go about glorifying God? How do we as a church help others glorify God? Our vision as a church declares that we do this by helping the lost get found. So the spiritually lost, we help them get found by Jesus. He finds them. He finds us. We want to introduce them to their Savior, help them get found. And then we want to help them live free in Jesus. And while I love our vision statement, I think it's simple, I think it's biblical, I think it's catchy. When the lost get found, the found live free. I think it's good and true, and we will continue to use that as our vision statement. But as I thought more about that over the last couple weeks, I realized that we could boil that down even a little bit more. We could say that the goal as the church, the goal for life, is to help people grow up in Jesus. Getting found and learning to walk in the freedom is essentially about becoming mature believers in Christ. So I I think that's what the goal of this life and the goal of this church is. We want to help people become mature in Christ. I'll never forget, we did a series in Hebrews, man, seven years ago, eight years ago, something. We did a series in Hebrews, and I'll never forget studying Hebrews chapter 5. When this truth sort of jumped out at me. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. I'm not necessarily teaching on this, but I want to share with you the the principle that, that is outlined here. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. He says, the author of Hebrews says, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now on face value, at first glance, it seems like kind of a a bitey scripture, doesn't it? But I remember reading this, reading it to to teach and to preach, and I remember it, it sort of clicked in my head that this is such an amazing word of grace to God's church. The author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he essentially says here, it glorifies God when you and I learn to act our age. If you're a baby, God's not upset or disappointed with you if you act like a baby in your faith. Babies cry. Babies can't eat solid food. They can't feed themselves. They need milk, right? They need someone to care for them and teach them and train them. They're dependent. And God's not disappointed by that or frustrated by that. Neither should you be if you're a baby in your faith. The problem arises when we fail to act our age. You see, God takes issue with us when we act like babies as teenagers or as adults. I'll never forget this. Here in Hebrews 5, we discover God's definition for maturity. I've been reading from a a website, Deeper Walk International, a lot of material. It's been super helpful. There's an article on there by a guy named Nick Harang. He says, human maturity can be thought of as achieving my God-given potential at my age and stage of life. Maturity in Christ is achieving my God-given potential at my age and stage of life. So 
to grow up and, and become mature in Christ, it means that we learn to act like ourselves in Christ, the person that he made us to be with all of our gifts and passions and personality. We live like that person Christ made us to be no matter what, no matter what circumstance or happening is going on in our life. That's what maturity is. It's learning to act our age in Jesus. So again, we could say that the goal for this life and the goal for our church is to help you and me reach our God-given potential at our spiritual age and stage of life. You might be thinking, well, what are those different stages of maturity? Are there different stages of maturity? There are. There are five, really. Again, from our boy uh, Nick Harang at Deeper Walk, he says there are five stages of maturity. They come from the life that we can observe, the physical world. There's an infant, child, adult, parent, and elder. Nick says that these stages, they've been confirmed cross-culturally. It doesn't matter if you go to India or Africa or the United States. They've been confirmed across culture. They've been confirmed in the scriptures. They've also been confirmed through new modern brain science. We can, we can see there's really five stages of development. There's the infant stage. This is the stage of dependence. We can't do anything for ourselves. This is the stage where you and I need to learn how to receive. We're helpless. We're weak. We need to learn how to receive. And then if we progress and continue to grow up, we eventually become a child. The child stage of maturity is where we transition from becoming an infant, where we only are learning how to receive, to develop into that child stage where we can now communicate our needs to others, have those needs met, and we begin to think beyond ourselves. Oh, that's the adult stage. The child stage is really just self-focused. We're beginning to communicate what we need and ask. I'm beginning to be able to care for myself. Now, I'm not a baby who needs to be fed. I can actually start to feed myself and have my needs and desires met. And I can pursue that. And then if we progress onward yet still, we move into the adult stage. This is where we learn to care for ourselves and others. If you've noticed, if you've had kids, it's usually around like four to six where they begin to be so, they, they stop being so self-centered and they can start to think about others, right? They're, they're moving into that um, uh, adult, adult stage. I said five or six. I meant stage 13. We're pretty self-centered until we get about age 13, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. And then after we move out of the adult stage, we move into the parent stage. Again, uh, Nick says it like this. He says, you know that you are in the parent stage when you can sacrificially care for your children or your spiritual children, you can care for others, and here's the key, without resentment for the sacrifice that you're dispensing and without expecting to receive anything for your efforts. That pretty much defines parenting, doesn't it? Right? Sacrificing for others. The key is, though, learning to do that without resentment or without expecting to receive anything for the work that you're putting in and the service that you're offering. So that's the parent stage. And then finally, if we keep on growing, eventually we reach the elder stage. The elder stage is where we learn not just to care for you and me, but we actually learn to care for our entire community. True elders have learned to act like themselves in the midst of difficulty, and they are willing and able to parent and help mature the community as a whole. Now, this is tough to overstate. The success of any country, of any community, 
of any school or any church body will have a direct correlation to the presence of true elders. Men and women who have learned to parent the community, who are guiding and advising that group. If elders exist, the community will thrive and flourish. If there aren't very many people who have reached that age and level of spiritual maturity, eldership, then the community, the country, the church, the group, the school will suffer tremendously. Now back to Nick in his article. He says, while most people reach physical maturity without difficulty, it seems that many do not reach their full potential of social and emotional maturity. I love this. He says, rather, like a brick of Swiss cheese, almost all of us have some holes in our maturity, some of which that go all the way down. Now, show of hands, anybody in here know anybody else who struggles to act like their age. Anybody know anybody like that? Right? All right, keep your hand up. Anybody else in here sometimes struggle to act their own age in Jesus? Yeah, both hands. I saw some, I saw both hands go up. Yeah, right? We struggle with this. Nick continues. He says, the good news is that when we understand these five stages of maturity, We can partner with God and others, our community, our church group. We can partner with God and others to see the holes in our maturity filled. He continues, he says, While our value in Christ is unchanging and complete as a beloved child of God, our maturity can grow and increase over time. He says, Raising maturity levels increases the health and satisfaction of marriages, of parenting, of leadership, and all other relationships. However, Blocked or stunted maturity limits our ability to receive and give life and to live fully from the heart that Jesus gave us. Now, I know I'm taking a while to get into a psalm here, but I'm setting this up. Give me a second. If we, we go back to where we started. What's the goal for life? We said the goal is to bring glory to God. And we do that by helping one another grow up and becoming mature, which we said is to live out my God-given potential according to my age and stage of life. That's the goal of life, to help people grow up in Jesus, live out where our age and our stage, spiritually speaking, of life is. Now, we're getting to the psalm. Do you know what the foundation of all of this growth is built upon? Don't say Jesus. It is Jesus, but that's not the answer here. Right? Do you know what the foundation is? It's joy. Joy is the fuel that our brains run on. If we have a high joy community and a high joy in life, transformation through these growth stages will happen fairly unimpeded. But if we live with a low joy environment, if we have low joy internally, if our communities are low joy, we will fail to grow up and become mature. Joy is the foundation we need to begin our growth journey of maturity in Jesus Christ. And this is where Psalm 100 comes in. Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is an invitation for you and me as a community to build joy by remembering that God is happy to be with us. At its simplest, 
At its simplest, here is what joy is. That feeling of joy. This is the definition. It's a knowledge and feeling that someone else you love is happy to see you, happy to be with you, is glad to be with you. Right? I can see and enjoy a sunrise, but unless I share that with someone else, I haven't experienced true joy because joy is relational. It's experiencing the good gifts of God in community with other people that are happy to be with us. Joy is relational. It's relational. And because it's relational, it must be, it can be shared. We're meant to share it with God and Him with us, and then also with others, and they with us as well. Because joy is relational, church, because it's about the relational connections that we have and being glad to be with one another, it transcends, it it rises above our circumstances. The reality is life is hard, right? It's hard. Bad things happen. We live in an evil, broken, sinful world. We're going to look at that next week in Psalm 107. But if we know that God and others are happy to be with us in those hard times, we're still able to experience joy. This is why James, if you've ever read in James 1, you might have been confused. This is why James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials and experience hard times. How can he say that? It's because we can know and experience those hard times. We can know and experience in those hard times that God is with us, that he is glad to be with us, and that if we stay relationally connected to him, he will use all of the things that we're experiencing to bring about our good, ultimately. So here's my point. You and I need joy. We were built to run on joy. And so we need to learn to build more joy into our lives and into our community. When I say that we need to build more joy into our lives, what I mean is that we need to learn to build the capacity to be relationally connected and stay connected with God and with others who by grace and Jesus are always happy to be with us. This is the idea behind building joy. We want to grow our capacity to live with gratitude even when times are hard. And I believe Psalm 100 gives us a model to follow. Would you read it with me? Psalm 100 from the NIV. We'll read it and then discuss it briefly. A psalm for giving grateful praise, we're told. Verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I've shared this before if you've been with us for a while. But... Held within this psalm, we see the key to unlocking greater, a greater experience of God's presence. We're told in verse 4 that, quite literally, we enter into God's threat presence through the door of thanksgiving and praise. Look at verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. We come into His presence by practicing thanksgiving. We come into His courts, the courtroom of heaven, 
with praise. You see, gratitude, joy, praise, appreciation, they're all kind of the same word wrapped up there. These are the keys that unlock the door into God's presence. And then held within this psalm, we're told here are some things as you come into God's courtroom, here are some things you can remember and be thankful for about who God is. Who, who God is. First off, he says, remember that the Lord is God. He's not a nameless God. The Lord is God. Yahweh is his name. The Lord of heaven's armies and everything that's wrapped up into that name. We can thank him and remember that he is the creator. That he made us. That we are his. That we belong to him as sheep to a shepherd. We're told also of his goodness and his love that it goes on and on and on. It endures forever. We're invited to ruminate on the realities of his faithfulness, not just to our grandparents' generation or your generation or my generation, but also to our children's generation after us. Those are good things. Church, if you're not tracking with what I've said, joy is relational. If you're not careful, you're going to fall into a trap and you're going to fail to experience joy, the feeling that God is glad to be with you. If you fail to comprehend and embrace the reality that joy is relational, what you're going to do with this psalm is you're going to start to make a list of things you ought to be thankful for. And then you're going to start to go through that checklist like a bunch of Eeyores. Right? Oh, thanks, God, for being faithful. (laughs) You're faithful, check. Right? Thanks, God, for being so good. Check. Right? Church, Psalm 100 is not inviting us into a ho-hum, rote list of thanksgiving like a bunch of Eeyores. No. It says, enter into his presence. Look upon his face. Come into his courtroom. Leave your world and all of their troubles for a minute or five, or ten, or fifteen, come into the throne room of heaven where everything is as it should be. Come in and spend time with the Lord. Don't just go through a list. Come before God and invite the Spirit who has made a home within you to speak to your hearts through your mind and your thoughts. Ask Him to remind you of who He is. This is an invitation to come and taste and see and savor with your senses the presence of a good and living God. You might say, man, Levi, you got really excited there. I like that, but I still don't know how to do this, right? Still feeling like an Eeyore. Here's how I would use this psalm to practice the spiritual discipline of appreciation. I'm just going to, I'm going to go through what this might look like using scripture to practice appreciation in a relational way, not like Eeyore. Using Psalm 100. First, I'd get alone by myself. I'd get alone by myself away from everyone and everything. Probably at a picnic table, which I've been doing a lot recently down by the river with a cup of coffee for two reasons. One, I connect best with God out in nature. And two, I really, really like coffee. (laughs) Right? So I get alone with God where I feel closest to him, out in nature, with something, a good gift, like coffee, that I enjoy. I get alone with God out in nature with some coffee, and I'd sit there, 
in the quiet for a bit, just sipping my coffee, savoring it, feeling how the warm cup feels in my hand, seeing the rich chocolatey goodness that it looks like in my cup, tasting the flavors on my tongue. As I'm sipping my coffee, I'd probably look out over the water. I do this in the morning, not as early as my wife would like, because she's dealing with the kids and I'm out by the river spending time with God, which is, I'm thankful that she allows me to do that. But sometimes it's early enough where I'd notice the mist floating up out of the water. I'd notice the slowness of the river as it winds through the Lord's earth. I'd listen. Take note of the birds chirping. The bugs and frogs and all the noise, the croaking, the the ripple of the water lapping at the banks, a fish that jumps. And after about two minutes, maybe five minutes of quieting my soul, trying to notice my surroundings, using that noticing to slow down my racing thoughts and mind of all the things that I need to do, just being with God. After I've gotten to a place of quiet, which takes practice. You can get better at it. After I've gotten to a place of quiet in my soul, I'd open to Psalm 100. And I'd begin to read, using my imagination, inviting the Holy Spirit, asking Him. I, I, in fact, I'd probably, I'd probably journal. i journal. Lord, what do you want me to see in this psalm? And then I'd read. A psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. I'd pause. I think deeply about that verse. I might journal what I hear the Lord speak to me. I've never heard an audible voice, but as thoughts run through my head, sometimes it's a thought that that sounds like a little bit like the Lord. Levi, what you heard here this morning, that was my earth shouting for joy before me. The birds, the water, the fish, even the cars on the road behind you. That guy out in the pontoon apparently trying to fix that boat that's kind of annoying you right now, right? Keeps going, right? All of this, the creativity you're seeing, the creativity on display, it's my creativity. These people, the creatures, all of the sounds and sights that you see is a shout for joy. It's the earth shouting for my joy. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. I think it is, Lord. Thank you. Verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Again, I'd pause and journal. Lord, I'm here. I'm glad to be with you, but honestly, getting here this morning did not make me glad. I have a million things to do. You know all of them. My house was crazy this morning. My kids and my wife were upset with me for being lazy and sleeping in too long, and then for being impatient as I tried to rush out the door really fast. I haven't been glad to be with people or with you this morning, but now that I'm here, I am glad to be here with you. Are you glad to be with me? Church, have you ever asked the Lord that question? Or a question like that? Have you ever gotten alone in a quiet place? to ask a specific question with a pen and paper and then pause long enough to hear 
the God who says, my sheep know my voice, what he might like to speak to you. Some of the thoughts that come into your mind will not be from God. Some of them may be your own thoughts. Some of them may be from the enemy. But every once in a while, you might hear that still small voice of the Lord speaking to you, reminding you that he hears you, that he sees you, that he is glad to be with you. And I believe the psalmist here invites us to ask that question, Lord, are you glad to be with me? And here's what you might hear. Son, know that I am the Lord who is God. I am the Lord. Levi, you know me by that name, Yahweh. The Lord of heaven's armies. I am not a nameless God. I am not just any God. I am the Lord, your God. You've seen who I am in my word. My character, my goodness, you've experienced my patience. Lord knows I have. I am the Lord. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to generation after generation. The Lord, whose ways you can't always comprehend. The Lord, who does not stray far off from you, child. I came to you in Jesus. Levi, I've made my home with you by the presence of my spirit. I'm with you now. You ask me, am I glad to be with you? Son, you know that I am. I am. I am the Lord who is God. It is I who made you, the psalmist writes. You are mine And the Lord invites me in this time of quiet. Think with me about sheep for a moment, he says. Think with me, Levi, about a shepherd. You've heard from my son, Jesus. I am the good shepherd. You know from Psalm 23 that I am also your shepherd. I will invite you to lie down by green pastures for rest. And Levi, when you fail to rest, by my rod, I will gently pull you over here to this place of rest. And I might just take your legs out from underneath you sometimes. Because you, you make this list, and you're, you're, you're doing all of these things. And what I want you to know as your shepherd is that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like a sheep, son, listen to my voice. Slow down. Follow my lead. Relax, man. I'll lead you into peaceful places of provision and rest. I'll protect you. You can trust me. Why? For I am good. My love and goodness endures forever, son. In Christ you've seen and tasted of my goodness And as he declared, nothing in all of creation will ever separate you from my love or my goodness. Levi, I know what brings your heart trouble. These times are crazy. The politics, another presidential election, Lord help us. The economics of the world. Levi, when have I failed you? When has my word failed you? It hasn't. It won't. I won't ever leave you. My faithfulness has continued 
through your grandparents' generation, the generation before them. It's continued through your parents' generation. It will continue through yours and your children and your children's children and their children's children and on and on and on and on until I return and bring everything back to what it should have been from the beginning. You asked me, dear child, am I glad to be with you? My answer is profoundly yes. Yes, I am. Always and forever. Because of my son Jesus, I promise, I am glad to be with you. That's what grace is. Because of Jesus, I will always be glad to be with you. See my face shine upon you. May it bring your heart peace. And then I close my journal in peace because I just heard from the Lord. Here's the deal, church. You can build joy into your life by practicing appreciation and praise just as I showed you now. You're not going to be that great at it at first because you're probably in a lower stage of development, particularly in regard to this, right? God has grace for that. It's okay if you act your age. It's okay if you don't know what to do yet. Find some older parents and elders in the church to help you grow up and flex this muscle. This practice is not a rote resuscitation of a thankful list. It requires time, at least five minutes of time, where you don't just think about something that makes you smile and then move on, but you allow yourself to dwell in that feeling of appreciation and gratitude. We can do it with Scripture, as I've just modeled for you, but it doesn't have to be Scripture alone. We can think about anything we're thankful to God for, whether it be a warm cup of coffee or a sunrise. We can think about something we're looking forward to and dwell on that feeling of anticipation and thankfulness to God as we look forward to that thing. We can think back as well upon a memory where we felt joy, where we felt relationally connected to God or to others, and we can go back into that memory by our imagination and allow ourselves to feel and sense all of the feelings that that memory conjures within us. We're living it in our imagination. See, folks, this practice of entering God's courts with praise, with appreciation, with gratitude, if we will spend five minutes, two to three times a day, doing this, brain science, the Bible, others who've tried it will tell you, this practice will help you live with more joy and feel more relationally connected with God than ever before. You say, how do you know that? It's one thing for me to say it, but how do you know that, Pastor? It's because Psalm 100 verse 4 still says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. To this end, church, I would like to invite you to join me on a joyful journey over the next 30 days. I've put together a resource that I've entitled just that. A joyful journey. For those of you who want to use your phone, we've got a QR code that you can grab up on the phone um, with, with that, or we've got copies back at the table. But it's, it's essentially two different resources that I've merged together from a book by Dr. Marcus Warner from Deeper Walk International called Understanding the Wounded Heart, and another book called The Other Half of Church by two guys, Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. I've become convinced 
that building joy into our lives through this practice of appreciation and praise is the number one spiritual discipline that we can put into practice that has the power to transform our lives through the gospel in ways that no other discipline can. Why? That's a strong statement. Why do I think that? Because joy is the fuel that our brain runs on, and we will never be more joyful than we learn than when we learn to connect with the God who made us relationally. If all we ever do is learn facts about God, which we're pretty good at, we can memorize scripture, we can learn facts about God, but if we never actually learn to connect with him relationally, the gospel will be relatively powerless in our life. Why? Because God is a person, not a list of facts. He's not just a person. He's a person who in Jesus has declared emphatically that he is glad to be with us. So what do you say? How about we enter into the courtrooms of heaven together by practicing some praise? We're going to start with song, and then throughout the week I have that resource available for you. You can join me in building more joy as a community and individually. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for being a relational God. Thank you for pursuing us in Jesus and for going a step further once Jesus left by making your home within each and every one of us through the power of your Spirit. I pray, Father, for those who are wounded by their own fathers, that the name of Father would not be a hindrance to them as they try to connect with you. If it is, I pray that you would invite them to call you Good Shepherd or Jesus or Spirit or some other name other than Father that would allow them to to come into your presence. Father, as we call you by your name, as we get alone in the quiet, would you teach us to hear your voice? Thank Thank you for your promise. You promised, Lord, that your sheep know your voice. Teach us to listen. And as we listen, Lord, build our joy. Remind us that you are happy to see us. As you commanded Moses to bless the people of Israel in numbers, I speak that blessing over these people here and now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the countenance of his face upon each and every one of us so that we would know and see a face that is glad to be with us. And as we look upon that face, fill our hearts with your peace, Lord Jesus, we pray. For your glory and our joy.